0: Chung King Express. Hounds of Love. This is Off the List.
1: But then I was like, the acupuncturist does not want what I have right now. I'm leaving in 30 days max. This is not healthy.
0: (laughs) The acupuncturist does not want what I have right now name of our band (laughs) no name of our first album our band is one more meme on instagram our first album is the acupuncturist does not want what i have right now (laughs) exactly and with that welcome Uh... to off the list the show where we talk about ben's love life (laughs) and when we're not doing that we're making lists and it's
1: just (laughs) so chaotic
0: (laughs) both sides (laughs) of um movies and tv you know not tv movies and 7 a.m oh my god we make lists in this podcast of movies and music jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) that are on our list that we want to cross off our list um i'm nadira i bring the movies that's ben he brings the music. Not the TV. Really don't know Yo. where that came from. Um, <laughs> speaking of which... I
1: don't even own a TV. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> so, Chunking Express.
0: Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, this... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is so chaotic. So, this episode... <laughs> we're talking about Wong Kar Wise film, Chunking Express... In Kate Bush's album Hounds of Love and we are starting with Wong Kar Wai's film Chungking Express um, was released in 1994 it was directed and written by the goat Wong Kar Wai um, cinematography was done by Christopher Doyle and Andrew Lau, but Christopher Doyle's known for working with Wong Kar Wai. And the cinematography in this film is incredibly important, which is why I bring it up. It stars first um, Takeshi Kaneshiro and Bridget Lin, and then in the second story, and you'll understand why I phrase it that way in a second, Tony Leung, The Goat, and Faye Wong the goat um (laughs) so the film is split into two parts um it's into two separate stories about heartbroken hong kong policemen who fall in love or like have new relationships whether it be brief or long with new women um and that's kind of the the best way to describe it just two separate stories interconnected through one sort of like chance meeting and one really poetic line um, but just a little bit of background on Wong Kar-wai because it's kind of hard to describe like how influential he is but he's very much considered like one of the most important modern filmmakers an iconoclast just dis- one of the most distinctive filmmakers in the industry currently an auteur one of the you know like just greatest filmmakers of like modern day. His use of composition, movement, and especially color and sound are what he's most known for. They usually incorporate diegetic music, um, and they usually have, like, vivid cinematography with lots of movement and, like, bold, saturated colors. Um, And he really likes to build a mood or an atmosphere as opposed to, like, following convention. His most famous film is actually In the Mood for Love, but that came out after this, and... I really wanted to introduce this film first because basically, this film and one other film that he made right after this are the film that brought him to international recognition and acclaim. Whereas, In the Mood for Love and I think Fallen Angels are the two films that are like, oh, your boy's done hit his prime. Like, wow, these are phenomenal films. But it took this film and another film first, but particularly this film. To, like, get him recognized internationally. So, I've said a lot about how it's important, like, industry-wise. But I haven't actually said what I think of it. Um, But first, Ben, what did you think of this movie?
1: Okay, I think the best way to describe how I felt about this movie is to describe the sensation of how I felt, like, as I was watching it. Yeah, go for it. So, the first, I'm going to say, like, third... So, like, midway through the first story, I was like, man, he an artsy bitch. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I was. By the two-thirds point, I was, like, so drawn in, and I couldn't figure out why. (laughs) And then when it ended, I was sitting in what i can only describe as like a weird stunned silence being like is that one of the best movies i've ever seen yeah, man <laughs> like it really i think this is legitimately like top three thing that i've seen on this podcast it, it was it was crazy it was fucking and it was i think it what was crazy about it is it took the whole film for me to like really like get into it and not like i couldn't appreciate the beginning but I feel like I'm gonna need to rewatch the beginning now because I have like a, a much different like viewpoint on it post the second story. Um yeah. But this it's just so it's just so vivid, and he has such like deft writing about love and makes the characters do such I don't know how else to phrase this other than like quirky but believable things. Human things. Yeah. Human mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Yeah, like the in the first story where he's getting pineapples that always expire on the date at which he's like he's um his birthday is, but also he's expecting his ex girlfriend to reach out to him. And the which way It also that, that happens to of, be
0: her name. Like the, the yeah. sort of like all of the layers of how May is used in that first story is impeccable.
1: Yes. And then in the second story how she gets the key in order to break into his apartment but just to clean it like not to do anything like weird with it but just to like clean it and get closer because she doesn't like know how to really make a move like i'm sorry but people fucking do that shit it's
0: crazy yeah she she but she also does a few weird things um you know like she rearranges the labels on the like sardines can and Mm -hmm. you know like yeah it's just funny like i think the whole point of it was to clean but the whole point of it was like if i can make your days varied enough and if i can make this sort of like mundane experience interesting enough if i can get you for a few minutes to just think oh that's weird am i crazy then you won't be thinking about her like that's mm-hmm. the that's the actual point and that is so heartbreaking <laughs> Yeah. Like, like it ends up working out but when you think about it that way it, it's it's amazing
1: like you're like oh,
0: yeah. bro what the fuck
1: <laughs> it really oh man it it, and also the way that i the incorporation of california dreaming with Faye's character is i think one of like the, the best song incorporations and in like I, I think you I think it's called like sat, like production like the way that they like play with the volume of it and the way they bring it into scenes and it's constantly reoccurring I just was like it's perfect every time like this this song choice was it, it's like it's all, like when I saw um eighth grade and Bo and picked sailing away it's like sailing away for that scene where she goes on the internet yes like I was like oh that's it there's not a song that's more perfect for the scene than this exact one
0: and it's not just that one. there's dreams by the cranberries which also features and then there's Mm -hmm. um that um what is her name oh Dinah Washington what a difference a day made like, the, yeah. like those three songs but specifically california dream by the mamas and the papas those three songs are like i would say they're unpaid actors but you know they probably got paid for them credits so whatever <laughs> um, but yeah, the, yeah. The, um Kar Wai is known for using and i wish a lot a lot of people just did this more because everyone freaked out when birdman did it like if you do it it's fun it's fine it's always cool but like using diegetic sound like bringing yeah. the sound into the world.
1: Could you, of I was just film. about to say, could you please explain diegetic right. a little bit more? Because I think I know what it means, but I think that that's more just me pretending to know what it means.
0: <laughs> the world of a story or a film is called the diegesis. So when you have something that is non diegetic, it is something that, let's say, the characters in the film couldn't hear. So when we hear a score, like a film score, usually the characters aren't hearing violins as they're like running away, trying to survive, you know, usually they're not hearing Mm -hmm. drums as they're like falling in love or whatever. And their hearts pounding like to them, life is normal, but to us that sound enhances the way we view it. But diegetic sound is sound that the characters can actually hear when they say, Hey, could you turn that up? Or, Hey, could you turn that down? Or, Hey, could you put this song on in the jukebox? Like, you know those needle drops like those are diegetic sounds and a lot of times people well not a lot of times it's rare actually but it's very very satisfying when filmmakers like play with sound that you think is non-diegetic um or is diegetic and then like flips it so for instance and i think birdman is the most recent most like effective example of this like As um, Michael Keaton is walking around doing his thing, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he'll walk outside and you'll start hearing music and you're like, oh, okay, here's the score. But then he turns the corner and the band's playing it on the street and you're like, "Uh oh, he can hear this. And so I think there's just so much fun to be had, like in that space between diegetic and non-diegetic sound, but specifically diegetic sound that not enough people capitalize on. And Wong Kar Wai is specifically known for using a lot of like Western music um, or Western influenced music, at least in his films and playing around with like what the characters can hear and can't hear. And in this film, it becomes such a character and such a great just like plot device of like building an atmosphere and showing you their mood, but then also Mm -hmm. becoming like a symbol of them showing how much they love each other. You
1: know what I mean? I kind of hinted at already what my favorite scene is. It's the scene where you first see Faye dancing to California Dreaming. Oh, I yes. think that that <clears throat> scene was utter perfection. Like, it, I I don't know anything about film, but if someone put a gun in my head and was like, teach a film class, I would show that scene. Like-
0: <laughs> that, sh- that scene, I've taken a few film classes, that scene has been shown in it. It is, yeah.
1: Oh, wow, I would survive. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very famous but, scene.
1: Yeah, so beyond that, I think I just want to talk a little bit about what this movie says about love and like what you think about it and like what the general public thinks about it. Because my original takeaway on my first watch through um, is I just thought that he had such a profound vision for how intimacy is so like intimacy and physical touch are two completely separate things and how they're not at all required to for the other one to exist and I, I found that his playing with intimacy was just incredible and that's what yeah struck me the most on my first watch through what about like is there other other things that you think that he was also particularly saying
0: that second story with Tony Leung and Fei Wong is so phenomenal and it's so well performed and everything about it is pitch perfect I really want to shed light on the first story because no mm. one ever really talks about it as much,
1: it was really good i like uh, both parts are so I feel like the only reason the second story is so fat like is so amazing is because the first story sets it up personally
0: right exactly, and I think the second story also just gets more time, but that story is just so good, and it's full of a lot of the things that Wong Kar Wai is so good at and you see in the second story but like distilled and very pure and very quick so for instance like like you were saying with um intimacy not being about touching there's so many moments in the second story where that's true that story gets so much more time to let those things breathe and the first story is so efficient when he shines her shoes like if that isn't sort of like the quickest, purest example of that thing in the film, then I don't know what is, it is, you know? And I think the first story does a lot of that heavy lifting and that work, but it does it so efficiently that you don't have time to really notice it's being done until you watch that second story and you're like, oh, wow, like mm. he taught me how to appreciate this The first time around I just like wasn't there yet um so I just wanted to shed light on it and it's also extremely well acted but yeah no I I wanted to shed light on that but to answer your question um yeah I think it's I think his films are always about the different most intimate ways that don't involve touching that are like really emotionally effective as opposed to physically mm-hmm. effective or surprising or whatever, but just like really deeply human and emotionally effective that people can fall in love or learn to care for each other. For instance, when the, um, in the second story, when the cop walks up and Faye Wong's working the snack table and then all the staff leave so they could have a moment mm-hmm. by themselves, like is really them caring for her, you know? So it's like yeah. all around, even though it's not just between the, the two main characters and it's like in every little small detail like when the snack bar owner is um trying to get the first guy and he like keeps setting him up and he's like you know you should like we have this new girl like you should meet her before someone else does and it's like a whole it's like everyone's caring for each other in small ways in this film and it's not just between the protagonists, but of course those are the two you pay attention to the most but it's just so good and i love it so much and it's really hard to explain just how effective it is without having seen it like he really does build a mood and an atmosphere and he really does key into just like the the weirdest but at the same time most relatable parts of humanity
1: yeah it because i feel kind of crazy like describing how much some of the scenes affected me where like i'll talk about like the scene where like um at the night after he signed shines the shoes where she takes the time to wish him a happy birthday that (sighs) in from a distance like that is that broke me in the weirdest way like it it, and they never see each other again like the story makes it seem like that is the only time that they ever had anything is that weird night in the hotel but and and again they didn't even touch he essentially he he chant he downed some chef salads (laughs) Well, she just slept. Yeah. And um, then the next day, you know, she's essentially a drug smuggler. Like she has no need or desire to do anything with this guy who I'm sure she's just thankful, like didn't rape her. Yeah. And she goes out of her way to wish him a happy birthday for it. I don't know. See, I even sound crazy, like describing how impactful it is when you just kind of have to watch it and let him set it up for you. Because when you it happens in the movie. It truly does feel like one of the most like intimate things I've ever seen in a movie, period.
0: I can't understate the importance of the way the camera is working in these films and the way like the colors are saturated and color is working in these films. Like I, I really can't understate it. it. It's so important to building these moods and to emphasizing these moments. Um, and it, it's just like, ugh, it's all so good and I can't wait to introduce more of his films. By the way, this film was only made in six weeks. And that second story he wrote in one day. That's
1: <laughs> so insane. I like my brain is like a hard time processing that.
0: Let's move, move on. on.
1: But there's only one appropriate way to introduce this. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: Wow. 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 Wow
1: what you just heard probably in the shittiest scuff way possible was big boy singing the intro since to running up that hill mm-hmm. which is the title or the first track of hounds of love by kate bush this is her seminal 1985 album it is an undisputed greatest album of all time it regularly lands in the top 10 albums of all time and The reason we hadn't covered it yet was solely because I just kind of presumed that Nadeera had heard it because it just has infected most American consciousness because of how important it is. And clearly, I think, you know, you said you had heard some of the tracks, Mm -hmm. but not hearing the whole album is it was very important. You heard the whole thing Um, as a little bit of background. This is when she was already pretty much pretty in her career this is technically her fifth studio album and this was a culmination or a perfection of every sound that she had been working on previously in art pop in baroque pop in progressive rock and bringing in tons of additional sounds and heritage like there's a ridiculous celtic song midway through this album in really expressive and meaningful interludes like all of these things Kate Bush did at one point in her career but this is where it is all perfect um I I I don't know this album is just so perfect it's kind of hard to talk about it without just sounding like I'm fawning over it but it really is one of those albums that in my opinion from its first time you throw it on you realize how much of a just like shooting star you're witnessing yeah and then every other time you put it on you it reveals a new layer to you i have never once listened to this album and not thought a new thought about it which is ridiculous considering how many times i've listened to it and i don't know it's just one of the best albums of all time it is the standard for our pop I know we talk a lot about Bjork, but Bjork yeah. would not exist if right. Kate Bush had not walked.
0: <clears throat> what year did this album come out in?
1: 1985, yeah, which sweet. is like a decade before Bjork was releasing her most influential stuff. So it really shows like a, a really direct lineage within the art pop world. It was a scene that kind of was most prominent in this time, in those like 20 years from Kate Bush to... Or, yeah, Kate Bush to Bjork, and there's just there's just so much to talk about with this album that I think I, I just want to know now that you've listened to it in full, has your opinion of it like heightened? Have you been just been like, oh, I get it now, and then you know what what's what's it giving?
0: Okay, so upon listening to this album, I realized that I didn't actually I hadn't heard as much of kate bush's music because i thought i did like i really mm. really honestly had only heard running up that hill i was like this is the only one that sounds even vaguely wow. familiar to me <laughs> so i'm really glad that we got to this moment where i could experience she is so fucking pretty hello mm-hmm. sorry i'm just now looking at yeah. her face in love with this yes anyway kate bush if you're watching this um i just want you to know that i think you're beautiful anyway so (laughs) Mm -hmm. um really excited that we could be brought into this this moment um yeah i guess i just did not have as much experience with her as i thought i did my reaction immediately after that was like this is a fucking bob the shit slaps yeah um but also like undoubtedly right like I think coming into it I knew more about how Hanif Abdurraqib felt about Kate Bush than I knew about Kate Bush which is like Mm -hmm. fine with me for most things um to know more about how he feels about them than the thing itself Um,
1: he's a trustworthy source (laughs) yes
0: definitely absolutely um and I it, it was just really fun to like know that and then to watch it I don't know come in like full experience for me um Mm -hmm. but no this album is really great i really loved it it's like it's 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 fun it's it's art poppy it's arty it's poppy it's like what what more could i ask we know i love that already like what more could i ask for um and in terms of what it's giving tinkerbell's quilt a quilt knitted by tinkerbell and (laughs) i say this very specifically because tinkerbell if y'all remember has a little she not just like some fairy she got some she got some some sass to her tinkerbell mm-hmm. has opinions tinkerbell is in an unrequited love situation. And that has made her very bitter and very (laughs) angry, Um, but she's still a fairy. So it's like, that part is kind of like subdued, you know, a little bit. So she doesn't come off as like a woman scorned capital A W S, but she comes off as like, "Mm, really cute. She's got her little fairy magic does, but she a little bitter. She a little, she got a little, she a little rough around the edges. And, but she knits, (laughs) she knits a quilt and that quilt, sounds of love by Kate Bush that's what it's giving I like that a lot mainly because I'm
1: imagining the quilt and it's something that the second you wrap yourself around it you're like I want this quote in my life for the rest of my life yeah
0: Yes. And it's also like, it's a very comfy quilt, but you know, it's got some, some interesting pieces in there. Some of them really familiar, some of them not, some of them a little different, but they all work together to bring this really harmonious thing going on. That is just the most comfortable quilt. I mean, it's a knit with fairy dust. So it's the most comfortable quilt you've ever put <laughs> on in your entire life. It could make you fly.
1: Yeah. My first listen to this when I did it, wait, I don't even remember when, I think it was just shocking because of how much she packs into each song and how many ideas are executed so well like I'll just say it I'm a running up that hill simp that is her best song and I will forever and always know that that is the song that I go to to Kate Bush like that is her song to me I was gonna say that
0: I usually try to like pick different songs for my favorite or make sure that I pay attention to other songs because I don't like to just say, like, oh, Toxic by Britney Spears, you know, like, whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like to say that, like, oh, Crazy in Love by Beyonce is, like, my favorite Beyonce song. It's not, by the way. But, you know, just for an example of, like, the most famous song by artist is my favorite song. But I really, like, listening to this album, I was like, okay, but Running Up That Hill is the best song in this album. Yeah. (laughs) it's It's... It's, like, very hard to escape
1: that with this. I agree. But I will say... That there are plenty of other like for example, I think Cloud Mm Bursting is maybe like one of the best R Pop songs ever. Like it just in terms of how it executes every idea so perfectly, the strings, her voice, the like weird, weird. This is another really important thing to know is that the album before this one, Kate Bush, that was the first album where she took over the production reins on her own music. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, What is the mixing on this thing? It's so weird and like off kilter. And it, it the album was good. But then on this one, Kate really understood everything that she was trying to do with her mixing. She really, like everything came into fruition with her ability to mix her project. So the mixing is really, really precise, but also really bizarre, Mm. where sometimes the backing instruments come in so loud and they really hit you. And there are examples of that all across. Most of the time it's just a synth that she just really likes and cloud bursting is a really good example because you have these beautiful, like, string passages that are lifting up her voice. And then there's this, like, bizarre synth sound is giving you this counter melody that is, like, one of the best counter melodies I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm,
0: Ugh, I love a yeah. good counter melody. Counter that and melody, that- bitch. <laughs>
1: and that, see, that's, like, the thing is that every song has a thing like that. On The Big Sky, the way she is, like, screaming in the background, but it's, like, so quiet that you're, like... It's, like... She puts it in the mix loud enough that you're, like, I'm feeling tension, but not loud enough that you're, like, it's not a bop, though. Like, it is just... It's just enough. And particularly the second half of this album, which... The second half of this album is so distinct from the first half. The first half is, like, this is bops. These are amazing songs. The second half is so conceptual that it's actually been subtitled the ninth wave <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a different name for it because the it's the concept of the album is that this is the point at which Kate Bush kind of falls asleep and she's drifting through a dreamscape, and all the songs reflect that because they're wild as fuck I don't know what like is going on I don't know how she composed any of this shit and also it perfectly represents like dream logic Where, like, you're going through and you're thinking about your ex and then suddenly you're in a Celtic jig and you're like, "Uh, uh, this is great, though. I fucking love it.
0: And (laughs) now I'm just (laughs) imagining someone, like, sobbing violently while doing a Celtic jig. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I really liked it. I would like to shed some light on my other favorite song besides running up that hill. And I mean, I'm gonna say, like, I will listen to this album multiple times over. It's really, really great. Just like how King Express for you was like, oh, this might be top three. This is definitely in my top three of albums that we have mm. listened to for this podcast. Love this album. It is phenomenal. I will be thinking about it. And I will listen to it multiple times over. So this opinion will probably change. But Waking the Witch...
1: Mm. we've talked multiple times on this that's so funny because like literally look at this i was just listening to it i was just (laughs) listening to it it's so fucking good look at us
0: look at us and the chorus and all the different accents of people just saying like wake up was Mm -hmm. i was like oh okay whatever the fuck this is i'm ready for it <laughs> I am not only ready for it I'm ready for it and it delivered it that song fucking delivered I was like I know we're gonna be talking about cloud blessing I know we're gonna be talking about running up that hill but I need to hold space for us to talk about waking the witch because it also sounds exactly like what the title is like I'm like yeah mm. I am feel like we're waking a witch like correct there is no other wake up it's so good and we all know I I love just like the Brits so Mm -hmm. it's nice to hear not American voices sometimes because you know how like when British people sing oftentimes they sound they like develop this American affect to their like dialect or to their like vowel sounds which is uh, partially sometimes it's just easier to sing that way and sometimes I think it's just like what's standard so people default without really thinking about it um but it was really nice to like be like, ah, yes, she's not American musically. It makes it like instrumentally, of course, like the composition, she's not American, but like she has a whole Celtic jig, as you mentioned, but like making that part present and like forefronted for just a hot minute. It was just so refreshing.
1: Really, man, what a what a powerhouse of a fucking episode. Jesus Christ.
0: We nailed it. We nailed that shit. We nailed that shit. Mm. Proud of us. Proud of us. So, moving on to holiday season, my time to shine, Um, (laughs) and so we are doing a holiday episode. The film that we will be watching is the great, and no, I'm not kidding, Paddington, about Paddington Bear. Oh, finally, we're watching Paddington. Realistically, I would prefer to actually show you Paddington 2, but you got to see Paddington one first and then you and I can just watch Paddington too, just for shits and okay. gigs. Um, cool. But I fucking love that movie. So does the rest of the world. And we'll talk about that. Music wise. We thought it would be fun if Ben and I traded off, Our favorite holiday songs. Basically, what we're actually low key saying is that no Christmas album in its entirety is good, and so we'd rather just like jigsaw this and give you our favorite holiday hits, than oppose as opposed to one full album of not great music. So, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah, like the only I I real I really do think this the only Christmas album that from start to finish is not terrible the whole way is like a Charlie Band Christmas album. But the problem with it is, even though that is good from start to finish, it it falls to the same fate as every Christmas album, which is that you always have a song that you just don't like. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter if I recognize that that song is a classic, I'll always hate, like, Paul McCartney's Christmas songs. I always think they're dog shit, for example. Like, it, it doesn't matter, like, how much in the American canon they are. I'm just like, I, I just don't like this song. And everyone has, like, so many con- preconceived notions behind it that. That's why we were like, no, like let's just share our favorite little songs. Let's make our own little soundtrack.
0: Make a little playlist with it. It'll yeah, be fun. I'm excited. Oh, I love the holidays times. Okay, well it's now eight thirty, and I gets to work, bestie. So I mean, me too, <laughs> me too. Because we working gals, so this mm-hmm. was lovely. Ugh, we really, we really hit it out the park this time. I gotta say, that was. Chunking Express and Hounds of Love firmly off the list should be off yours and we will see you guys we'll see you guys on
1: Christmas (laughs) I'm from Philadelphia (laughs) that should be the closer of everyone
0: Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes